0: Uh, hello and welcome to another Coren stream. I am your host Joe Magician, and today we'll be taking a hard right turn from the Riverlands, Lady Stoneheart, Spoopy Rob Zombie coming back from the dead, and we're going to be going far east, far far east, into the smoking sea and the doom of Valyria. <laughs> uh, the doom, the catalyst for the arrival of the Targaryens in Westeros and the shattering of the known world, is an event whose shadow can be felt hundreds of years later in Westeros and beyond. And yet the cause of the doom is uncertain and hidden among ash and smoke. Today we'll be probing into the accursed lands of old Valyria and see what caused the Valyrian freehold to end in only one day. Ooh, spooky stuff. Nothing like that happened in Westeros today, right? Yeah, there's going to be no doom of westeros or anything like that the doom of king's landing this is a one-time thing don't worry about it it's not coming back in any way <laughs> um so there's a good quote uh, quote here this is from i believe from septon barth it says "Lyria is accursed all men agree and even the boldest sailors steer steer well clear of its smoking bones but we've been mistaken to believe that nothing lives there now the things we found in Araya targaryen live there now i would submit along with such other horrors as we cannot begin to imagine. Hey, it's a spooky place. Don't go to Valyria is essentially the uh, the message there. Um, also, I want to say thank you. There were a few super chats where the stream started. Uh, let me scroll up and grab those uh, first one from uh, 10 Pounds from Ramona Zanfiers. Thank you very much, Ramona. She's got a, another similarly good question waiting in the wings that I put on the that I grabbed from the patron slack. And $10 from Lemmy B, he says, alas, Valeria, George's famous line from one of his uh, blog posts that I believe became fire and blood. Like people are trying to figure out for forever. Oh, my God, does this mean the winds of winner is here? Alas, Valeria could mean anything. It actually meant that George was power writing out fire and blood. Um, Whoops. Whoops on that one. But that's how it goes. Thank you, Lemmy. Appreciate it. Also, uh, the norm, Danny McKay's norm $5, happy Saturday and a peace sign. Thank you very much, Danny. And Moralee, apparently, uh, just going to go ahead and bury the needle again, as she tends to do. Um, let me let me pull up the full message. One second. It's only been two weeks, Aaron. Oh, no, you're talking to Dorstein. I'm sorry. I thought you meant me. Let's see if I can remember my password. There it is. Got it. It's always good when we can not remember your password or, you know, important things. Uh, let me let me pull this up real fast. So it was a $50 donation from Marley. Thank you so much, Mora. She said uh, to Joe Magician, just a gift to show my support and love for all the fabulous content. A question and answer. We know the Faceless Men played a major role in the Doom when they gave their gift all the slaves and then to the masters. My question is, though, did the Faceless Men know the Doom would happen? If they did this, did they want to play a role in this? And if so, why? Thank you. Much love for more. Thank you so much, Mora. I'm gonna go ahead and add that one later on in the stream. I mean, obviously, we're gonna be talking about the faceless men and their intentions and why they why they may have had a hand in this. Spoilers, the faceless men may have had a hand in the uh in the doom of Illyria. But I'm gonna pop that one down there. We'll get back to it later. But again, thank you so much, Mora. Appreciate it. <laughs> I killed the taker in the chat. Barth, don't go to Valyria. It's a bad place. Euron, sign me up. That's where I want to go. Take me to Valyria. Well, sort of. Maybe. Did Valeria, Did Euron go to Valyria? Maybe. Roderick the reader, a.k.a. you the reader, should doubt him. Hmm. Curious, curious, curious. If I tell you my password, you'll remember it next time. Oh, thank you. Um. So my password is obviously get sad with amen 123 You know, put that one down for me. All right. So before we get going and talk about like what really caused the doom of Valyria, I think it's kind of important to set the groundwork and talk about like what exactly was the doom and what does it mean, that kind of stuff. So we're gonna go back a little bit and we're gonna start with Valyria itself. We're talking about not the place for Valyria. We're talking about the Valyrian Freehold, the Empire of Valyria. They were, at their time, the, the most powerful and expansive empire in the known world. Nothing else was like that. Um, it was the largest empire the world had seen for hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of years. Because as you look at the the map throughout Westeros and Essos, it's largely broken up into a lot of smaller kingdoms, even before Valyria rose. Um, there wasn't really anybody that. Took control of the whole thing. There's rumors that the Great Empire of the Dawn um, went coast to coast basically and owned the whole thing. But you know, it's so far in the past, it's hard to tell if that's true at all. Um, so it began in what's known as the Veneer, the Valyrian Peninsula. They renamed it the Lands of the Long Summer because the Valyrians were very high on their own brand. Uh, it was an, amidst what's known as the 14 Flames. The 14 Flames, these are important, pay attention to these are 14 volcanoes that ring the landmass. And when you look at what it used to look like before the explosions, it essentially looked a bit like um, it's a little bit like Italy and Greece combined. That's that's kind of the the way George drew it out, which tells you a lot about what you're supposed to think about the Valyrians. George is obviously drawing on the Roman Empire and the Greek city states, basically, as real world um, allegories for what the Valyrians. Valeria is supposed to be like I mean there's obviously a lot of different influences of Valeria there's a lot of stuff from Lord of the Rings other stories that kind of stuff but just like the land mass and where it's situated think ancient Greece think the Roman Empire there's a lot of very strange uh scattered stories about where the Valerians actually came from like how did they go how did this random how do these random people on this Valerian Peninsula end up conquering essentially the world um The the main story that we're told is that they were sheep herders on the Valyrian Peninsula who lived among the volcanoes because nobody else wanted it because volcanoes are dangerous. Everyone else basically just stayed away. Um, The story goes that just one fine day they were out herding their sheep and they found dragon eggs among the volcanoes. And they were like, oh, wow, dragon eggs. What if we could hatch them? And then they did. (laughs) They did it. And then they learned to how to hatch the dragons, how to tame them. And from them, they went from a small little culture with dragons to a gigantic one. And the empire rose from that. Uh, That's a very mythical story, I would guess. It sounds a lot like, um, you know, the founding of Rome has several different stories. There's obviously Romulus and Remus, the story of the two brothers. Uh, There's also the story from the Iliad that uh, I believe it's Paris uh, fled Troy and made his way to Rome, eventually founding what would become the Roman Empire. You know, there's all sorts of stories like this for the beginning of civilizations. It's a normal part of them that they try and like put some part of fate or destiny in how they were founded. It makes them seem more impressive. So the idea that the sheep herders were gifted these eggs from nobody knows where and they learned how to do it is a way of essentially saying like, They were divinely chosen to be dragon lords. Um, They were the they were gifted. These these dragon eggs, they learned to master them. They're better than everyone else. They're the chosen people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, The world book goes into uh, some different theories about this kind of thing. Um, One of the main ones that sticks out is that the Asha'i people were the ones that taught the Valyrians how to ride dragons. Um obviously Ashai is such an enormous giant city that it seems likely that there was a civilization there before they had their own version of the doom. Um Ashai by the Shadow seems a lot like Valyria in the current times, honestly. Uh with the ash and the destruction of the area and how basically there's no children in the shy and all these other kind of things. So um the idea being that there was the Great Empire of the Dawn or E.T. or something else there there was obviously something before valyria and their fire sages or whatever taught the valyrians how to ride dragons why they would do that out of the goodness of their hearts unclear um one way you could kind of one way you could kind of um think about it if you want to think about it in a historical sense george loves the idea of what's called an interregnum uh this is a idea he borrowed from the foundation series it essentially means the fall of a gigantic empire leaves a power vacuum, and all the colonies that used to be one are now scattered, and there's generally a loss of technology, a loss of knowledge over time. Um, that's basically the story of Foundation. It's also present in Martin's Thousand Worlds. He has written in an interregnum into that story, that overall storyline, which sounds a lot like Valeria, where um, there was once the, the great man realm, which then fell. But there's a few small places that still hang on to the old knowledge and have essentially lifted themselves up above the other ones. Uh, I believe in the Thousand Worlds, the main one that does that is hang on a second. I know the name of this one. It's mentioned in Nightflyers. Oh, yeah, the Federal Empire. So the main one is not Jameson's World. It's. Well I talked to God, am I really gonna blank on this one? <laughs> Avalon. Avalon is the main one. Um, yeah, it's also good call go to with the Undertaker. It's a real effect. It happens all the time. Large empire falls, colonies split off, different parts of it, um, rise and fall literally happened with the Roman Empire with the splitting of the Western and Eastern Empires, with the Western one falling, while Byzantium essentially limped on for hundreds of hundreds of years after Rome itself fell. So um, you know it's it's a real thing and it's a thing George likes talking about. So if you want to think about it in terms of an interregnum, Valyria may be an offshoot of some larger empire that fell, and eventually over time it reconnected with another one of the colonies, maybe something like a Shai or Karth, reestablished some trade or knowledge, and managed to get uh, dragons back. So I'm guessing it's that's the um, the historical reason for how the Valyrians found their dragons again. Uh there's also stories that um daughter daughter has talked about where she thinks that they made dragons from um fireworms and wyverns which very well could be true. Uh genetic manipulation is also a big part of George's writing. He loves magic genetic manipulation. It's his whole thing. But one thing to take away from is you shouldn't uh, you should understand that Valyria is not a foundational empire or civilization. There were many before them. Larger ones, that kind of stuff. Hey, Alicia Kingston, AK, how you doing? Um, so for how far did the Valyrian Empire get? Well, if, actually, I have a, a map of me, but you can't see it. But if you look at the map, it's basically everything west of the Bone Mountains and everything east of Westeros was the Valyrian Empire. They had colonies and, um, and holdings as far south as Sothorios and the Basilisk Isles. Uh, they went as north as Lorath and the, Sh- and the Shivering Sea. Um, they went all the way west as far as you could get until Westeros. They stopped for some reason at the Narrow Sea. And again, they went as far east basically as the Bone Mountains. Um, I don't think they ever conquered Karth, but they probably could have if they wanted to. So in order to do this, guess what the Valyrians did? Uh, they manifested destiny their way across. They destroyed... Many, many native populations and civilizations. Um, their method of expansion was um, sadly very familiar in the real world. Uh, they would throw in their superior military. They would chase the natives off or enslave them. And then they would resettle the location and the ruins with uh, their own people. They would put the Valyrians in charge. Usually, I don't think it was usually the 40 families. I believe it was like mid-tier families like merchant families that kind of thing oh uh mariana lopez your first live stream you're so excited thanks for coming uh mariana um actually there's probably a lot of new people here um not only from the lady stoneheart red wedding 2.0 rob stark coming back from the dead stream but also um alt shift x put out a video a few days ago about uh summer hall and he gave me a big shout out on it um so you know as as they they cover pretty much the same topics. He references my videos in it so um hello all you <laughs> new folks um a lot of new subscribers and non new viewers so I'm glad you could join us today and this is what i look like if you've only seen the videos so far um oh another one ray1313 new to the channel love your videos mr magician thanks so much appreciate it um yeah what hello to all the newcomers so if you look at the history of um what the Valyrians did, their actions really, uh, shaped world history. So the Andal invasion itself was caused by the Valyrians. The Valyrians were moving into the Northwest. They chased the Andals out of Andalos. Uh, they were, f- they were freeing from dragon fire. So they went West to Westeros, invaded that and started the war at the first men. So <laughs> the Andal invasion is the fault of the Valyrians. Also the Rhoynar migration, um, the Roinar came from, obviously, the Roin River in, um, in Essos, north of Atlantis. The Valyrians roasted Rhoynar and chased them out of their home. Nymeria led the thousand ships west and settled in uh, Dorn. So again, another mass migration to Westeros was caused by Valyrian expansionism. <laughs> yeah, that's right, AK. Valyrians scared the Andals so bad. The Andals made up a whole religion to justify them invading Westeros while they were running scared. Yes. I mean, dragons are scary, so I don't blame the Andals. But if you look at a lot of mass migrations and actually the history of Westeros itself, the Valyrian expansionism is largely the driving force for the world that we know today. Um, even the, um, the Slaver's Bay, the Ghiscari Empire was totally destroyed by Valyrians in the Ghiscari Wars. And they. it's suggested that the Valyrians who, in, who um, created the slave trade out of Slaver's Bay Um, as a way to support the empire as of course the Valyrians were mass slavers that was their the basis of their economy was a flesh economy they largely took over these colonies took over these civilizations and then turned them into slave factories for the main empire so that's not great Valyria Freehold really sucked don't get tricked by the name Freehold (laughs) okay Freehold does not refer to Anything about the the culture of it is just a name. They were the biggest slave uh, slavers in the world, which of course is referenced in uh, a Game of Thrones with seriess tells that to Daenerys. He's like, our family were slavers. It's like yes they were. Oh, we only have 72 likes. Oh yeah, if, if this' is your first time here if you don't know it, um slam that like button if we get to 150 likes. I have my magician hat from the um, you can see in the corner and from my uh, channel icon I have a real one I'll put it on. 150 likes, 175 likes. We got the, um, we got the Gurm hat. And if we get to 200 today, um, I'll give away a t-shirt. So slam that MF and like button for all the hats and stuff. Yeah. And like I was saying, all the conquered lands were made into basically single output regions that supported Valyria. Everything fed back into the Freehold, into the lands of the Long Summer. Um, The different slave cities like um, Mir. Pentos, well, not Pentos these days, Pentos gave up slavery, but um, Tyrosh, Slaver's Bay Volantis, they all um, created their economies to support Valyria itself, which meant sending them slaves. Um, that was kind of their whole thing. But there's one important thing about all these Valyrian colonies, which we're going we're gonna to put a pin in this one and we're going to come back to it later because it comes up and it's very important. The Valyrians did not allow anyone else in the empire to have dragons or dragon eggs. The only place you could find them was among the families of the Freehold, the 40 ruling families of the Freehold um, and Valyrian Freehold itself. No colonies were allowed to have them, not even Volantis, none of them. So it essentially created a situation where all the military power of the Freehold itself was centralized. And they used that as a way to keep the uh, the colonies in check because they could not defend themselves against the Dothraki or um, the Carthene basically anybody else and all internal conflicts would have been solved by the dragon riders. So they essentially use that as a stick hanging over them to make sure they towed the line. <clears throat> oh, a uh, super chat here from the Empress 99, uh, $5. Thank you so much. Have you heard the theory that Valyrian dragon Lords are basically a result of successful genetic splicing experiments by the great empire? Sure. Very well could be. Um, we know the Valyrians experimented with, um, with genetics themselves, George writes about that a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just keep that in mind. As we're talking about the Doom of Valyria, no dragons anywhere else outlawed. You could not have them anywhere else. That's important. And this is uh, similar to the idea of the Roman legions, where Rome itself held all the military power and the generals. And that's how they essentially kept the the wide ranging borders essentially in check because if you rebelled against Rome itself they would withdraw the legions you would lose your support you would lose uh, your economics and your your defenses and some barbarians would come through and wipe you out same idea here Uh, we also know that uh, Bravos, the city itself was created in response to the Valyrian conquests Uh, they were made by escaped slaves from the Valyrian slave mines Uh, they supposedly hid amongst caves and magical mists which for some reason blocked glass candles. Don't really know why. Um, It's also just really far away from Valyria, and it's cold. Well, much colder than Valyria. So they hid in, like, the perfect spot as far as you can get away. Um, Sorry about that. Had a gross cough. Um, So that's the world Valyria created. They turned everything into a slave factory to support the main empire. They kept the dragons away from everyone else. They held on to them for themselves. No sharing, no nothing. Everything supports the Freehold and the 40 families. So that's not great. <laughs> uh, if you wanted a pet dragon, if you were among the dragon lords, you could have one. Totally. But um, they were not sharing. Oh, uh, a super sticker from Moralee, $20. Oh, thank you, more. Appreciate it. A nice pair dancing. There we go. So we get to the doom of Valyria itself. So what was it? One day, totally unexpectedly, remember those 14 volcanoes? They all exploded at once. Um if you're old enough you've ever lived through Mount St. Helens and the um actually more recently there was the volcanoes on Iceland, I think, like 10 years ago or something like that that the ash coming out of them totally disrupted global trade. And these were just like isolated eruptions. Um, the ash was so much that it basically they brought their regions to their knees. Now imagine 14 of those all going off in one small area around the size of like France or Greece. That's that's the that's the doom of Illyria. It is a, a level of catastrophe that is hard to understand, that is so be- far beyond our um oh, hang on a second. I'm talking a little loud. That are so far beyond um our understanding. And anything you will ever experience in your life that it can be hard to put into words. But George tried. So we got a few descriptions of the doom itself. <clears throat> get ready for some you're uh, ready for some quotes here. So here's the first one. <clears throat> it was written on the day of the doom that on the day of doom, every hill for 500 miles had split asunder to fill the air with ash and smoke and fire blazes so hot and hungry that even the dragons in the sky were engulfed and consumed. I'm sorry, Mallory, dragons died. Um, I know this is, is going to be hard for you. Great rents had opened any earth, swallowing palaces, temples, entire towns. Lakes boiled or turned to acid. Mountains burst. Fiery fountains spewed molten rock a thousand feet in the air. Red clouds raid, rained down dragon glass and the black blood of demons and to the north the ground splintered and collapsed and fell in on itself and an angry sea came rushing in. The proudest city in the world was gone in an instant. Its fabled empire vanished in a day. The lands of the long summer scorched and drowned and blighted. Here's another one, another good quote about the doom. On the day the doom came to Valyria, it was said a wall of water 300 feet high had descended on the island, drowning hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children leaving none to tell the tale but some fisher folk who had been at sea and a handful of Velosi spearmen posted in a stout stone tower on the island's highest Hill, who had seen the hills and valleys beneath them turn into a raging sea. Bear villas with his palaces of cedar and pink marble, had vanished in a heartbeat. On the north end of the island, the ancient brick walls and step pyramids of the slave report, Gozai, had suffered the same fate. So that's a description of the Isle of Cedars from um, from Victorian. What happened... The Isle of Cedars is kind of far away from Valyria. This is how destruction it was. Um, it destroyed a massive, massive destruction all across the uh, the Smoking Sea, or what became the Smoking Sea, and um, the area around it. And the third one we have here. Uh, the one thing that can be said for certain is that it was a cataclysm such as the world had never seen. The ancient and mighty Freehold, home to dragons and to sorcerers of unrivaled skill was shattered and destroyed within hours. It was written that every hill for 500 miles split asunder to fill the air with ash and smoke and fire, so hot and hungry that even the dragons in the sky were engulfed and, consumes and consumed. Wait, did I read this one? I did read this one already. I'm sorry. I thought this was a different one. Um, I'm going to cut that one out of the final version. I just did the the same description. Okay, so there we go. Whoops. Whoopsie-daisy. <coughs> um so mistake there but anyway so this obviously uh some of you guys are talking in the chat about this this is very reminiscent of the destruction of the minoan civilization on um in the aegean um, mediterranean the explosion that came from the volcano on the nearby island of thera um this is likely the inspiration for the myths of atlantis that kind of thing um but times 14 (laughs) that's how george is describing this The destruction of the Minoans, uh, the explosion of Thera times 14. It's unbelievable. It also uh, reads almost like kind of like a divine punishment, you know, something from above coming to get them. The kind of thing that would honestly happen in the Old Testament to the very, very naughty humans. Um, Some of you guys are talking about this, too. Another obvious um, parallel to this is the Numeronians, the Numerans, Numerans, Numeronians. I forget how to pronounce them. in Lord of the Rings. Those are, by the way, Aragorn's people, the Dúnedain. For their sins and violating the ban of Valar, by the way, no trespassing on Valar, which the the Númeronians did, Eru Lúvatar sank the entire island of Númenor as punishment, destroying their civilization, and only a few boats escaped to make it to the mainland. Um, The escape of the Dúnedain or the Numeronians become the Dúnedain in Middle-earth, and what became of them sounds extraordinarily similar to uh, the story of the Targaryens fleeing Valyria before the Doom and landing in Westeros. I mean, it's going a different way, but the story is the same. And as George is a massive, massive fan of Lord of the Rings, it's unsurprising to see the parallels between the two stories. Um oh, a $5 super chat from the Happy Masquerader with an excellent Matt Smith a painting by Alice uh, X Zhang, I believe her name is. I have a few of her artworks up on my wall, too. I love that one of uh, Matt as the 11th Doctor, I think it was. Um, Numenonian. Numer, 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 Numenorians. Numenorians. OK, there we go. Got it. Uh, how do you think Valeria felt about a shy? The whole no beast could be ridden thing might have posed a problem. Yeah, well, I don't think they thought too much about a shy at all. A Shy at this point is a doomed is a destroyed civilization. Uh, when characters talk about a shy, there's nothing there. Um, it's essentially just a bunch of ruins that some weird folks live among. Um, there's no military there, there's no power, so um, they probably thought of it in the same way that the current characters think of Valeria. Just a destroyed civilization with some secrets in it. Um thought the um new <laughs> Numenorians were 100% human. They are human, but um, there's a there's a dwindling of magic among them um, that goes from their landing in Middle Earth until the current timeline. It's still some, it's still somewhat um, there. For instance, Aragorn is much more long lived than the rest of the humans around him. I think he lives to be something like 200 years old. Um, The uh, Orthanc Tower, the one that um, uh, Saruman the White lives in, is actually a a leftover from their faults their fallen civilization um yeah krakatoa could be an inspiration definitely there's a yeah there's a long dwindling there but they are different from the normal populations um it's it, you know the um the ending of magic in middle earth is a a a theme throughout it and the um yeah half elves too they also married it to the elves. There's a lot of weirdness with old Lord of the Rings stuff, but basically, basically think Targaryens. And that's more or less the same idea. Just without the dragons. George did some weird things. Um, so we're going to go ahead and grab that pin back and we're going to talk about, oh, no, all my dragons are gone. Um, the Valyrian practice of keeping the dragons and all their eggs in their homelands and not distributing it out to the colonies backfires tremendously. All the dragon lords of the Freehold, except for like two or three, die in the eruptions within a matter of hours and all their dragons within them. As far as we know, Um, there's only a few named survivors from the event. There's obviously Aenar Targaryen, Aenar the Exile, and the dragon lord Orion, who in the world book we learn uh, declared himself emperor of (laughs) Valyria about that. Not much to be uh, to be ruled over at that point. He raised an army of 40,000 in cohort uh, from the colonists and tried to march back on Valyria and take it back. I guess he may have thought it was like a military action or something like that. Not really sure what he's doing, um, but he left with his dragon and his 40,000 troops, and they are never seen again. They disappear. No, no one has ever found the 40,000 bodies, Orion or his dragon. They just disappear off the face of the earth. Not a good sign for what's going on in the Doom in uh, Valyria all these times. Um, yes, that's right. They put all their dragon eggs in one basket. Bad idea. Well, good idea for how they ran their empire. Bad idea if anything ever happens on the mainland. Whoops-a-daisy. Uh, what we see in the fallout from the Doom is that the most powerful colony, which is obviously Volantis, they destroyed the Roinar to help Volantis. That's why they did it. Um, so they try to make the claim that they are the natural successors of the Valyrian Empire, and they essentially try to become Byzantium, uh, with Rome fallen. Doesn't go that well. Um, they are led by the tire, the um the tiger faction who lose power after this. But for a hundred years, Volantis tries to essentially make the Empire of New Valyra, but they can't really do it. Why? Because they don't have dragons. Despite the fact that there is the Black Wall in Valantis with pure-blooded Valyrians that trace their uh, lineage back to Valyria itself, they don't have any. They don't have any dragons. So when they try and take their economic and military power on the road, they don't have a supernatural advantage like the Valyrian the Freehold did. They essentially um, they take back a few of the colonies, um, but they end up losing it. Um, after that, there's constant infighting between uh, Lysmere, Tyrosh, Pentos, Kohor, Norvos, um, all the all the old Valyrian daughters, as they're called. They end up fighting with each other. Uh, we still hear about it to the current day. The Triarchy is um, is a big part of Valantis, uh, but we also hear that Valantis tried to pull an Orion. They tried to, they made a massive fleet of ships with all their troops, and they sailed it into the smoking sea, into Valyria, the Tiger faction. Pumping their fist, going like, we're new Valyria. We're going to take back the homeland. They disappear without a trace. They are gone. Um, just completely disappear off the face of the earth, exactly like Orion. Um, this causes Volantis to lose most of its military power at the time. They lose their position. They lose control of the other Valyrian daughters. And they end up just becoming another city state. Whoops a daisy. Another powerful group trying to take back Valyria. And it absolutely destroys them. Um another important part about this is that it's not just that they lost the dragons and that they lost the economic center of Valyria they lost the the entire government structure and administrative state the Valyria the the freehold itself was ruled by 40 families the 40 most powerful families in the empire um they they were all in the mainland and they essentially served um It'd be wrong to think of them as an elected Senate like uh, the U.S. has currently. It's something more like uh, the old House of Lords or like the honestly the original Roman Senate when it was largely um, controlled not by popular elections, but by powerful families ruling them. Um, Some families came and go, but it was essentially just a permanent aristocracy of um, of the most powerful people in the freehold, all the dragon lords, um, and they held it. Unfortunately, with the Doom, 38 out of the 40 families died. (laughs) There's nothing left. The administrative state is gone. Um, The two that survived were obviously Orion, the Dragon Lord. He was whatever family he's from. They survived as long as he did. And then Aenar, uh, the exile in the Targaryen family used to be part of the Freehold, um, but they were not particularly powerful. So that's kind of it. So the administrative state of Valyria dissolves into nothing. The economic state falls into ruin we have an interregnum as i was talking about earlier the creation of Valeria was likely as a result of an interregnum this is what it looks like a complete collapse of the empire but but <laughs> um well the Valerians the Valerians did belong to the freehold but they didn't at the time of the doom they left it so they probably got replaced by somebody else so yes and no um so you could say probably 39 of the freehold families died until orion did but i don't know the targaryens with their dragons were members of it but they ended up leaving um oof i just talked for a while how are you guys doing got any any questions so far uh maybe do some promo stuff in a second very convenient the targaryens weren't there for the doom mm, how are we doing on slamming that like button? 129 not that far off um so that's that's the setting of the doom what it was and um how it affected basically the whole world the um Oh, we got another uh, super chat here. Um, Oh, this was on PayPal Uh, from I don't want to dox who this is, but I I, um, from Amira says uh, came for the Valyria versus Volcano story, but you stay for the community. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Um, We're about to get into Denise the Dreamer and the prophecies and all the stuff that caused it. But anything that we're unclear about with the background, the doom itself, like any other kind of stuff? Adrian Birchall said, did all the Targs leave Valyria did some stay? As far as we know, the entire family got uprooted and moved to Dragonstone. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to talk about my cannibal Corley's theory again. Seems relevant. You love it so much. I think I'm going to make that a video at some point. So uh, probably not today. Uh, Frank Herbert, does Austin Flowers cause the Dune of Valyria? Uh, yeah, there's an interregnum in Dune, too. That's a main that's a major part of that story. Um, they uh, uh, Sci-fi and fantasy authors love fallen empires with somebody picking up the pieces, because it creates a natural um, goal for your characters. It's trying to recreate some lost knowledge, find secrets of the lost empire. It's super common. Uh, Interregnums are very much a part. Taysadre, you're <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> sus. Well, she, I think that's one way to look at it. Um, Targs were in the middle class, they paid all the taxes. Actually, no, the Targaryens were... They were the weakest of the 40 families. But you think about the size of the Freehold, being the 40th most powerful family in empire that size makes you the upper, 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 upper class, especially with their dragons. <clears throat> uh, Rosanante says the destruction of doom should match the theoretical fallout of Yellowstone, if not more. Um, yeah, yeah. if the Yellowstone super Bowl volcano ever goes up, it will completely destroy most of America. Um, we will be screwed if that ba- when that baby goes up um uh actually the closest thing i think i've heard about what the what the doom of Valyria would kind of be like on a, a normal scale is this is in the long past um i think billions of years ago there was a time when basically what is no what is russia today exploded into massive massive volcanoes that lasted for thousands of years and it's from that time of increased volcanism in the world that we get most of our precious gems. Um, it also happened in Africa. That's why you see so many um, like precious gems, diamonds, rubies, that kind of stuff being mined from these volcanic areas. The volcanoes themselves, in the, in the massive amount of uh, lava and explosions that are happening, rip gemstones from deep under the earth and expose them to the top layers. Uh, Jay Barron says, don't the Velaryans and Saptigars have Valyrian heritage? Yes, they do. The Celtigars are apparently uh, common merchants, and the Vlarions were sea merchants. Basically, neither of them were part of the Freehold. Um, supposedly, none of them, neither of them, had dragons. Although I think I'm going to make a theory about that one, like Aaron was talking about. But they are decidedly lower classes than the Targaryens within the Freehold. Um, they would be middle to lower classes. That's exactly right, Okay, That's why blood diamonds are a thing. A Super, a gigantic amount of super volcanoes that exploded in Africa a long time ago is why there are so many diamonds. Um, oh, there's always volcanoes at Yellowstone. <laughs> Engulf the rest of the planet in darkness. Yes, that is the other effect of massive volcanic activities that usually cause little ice ages. Hey, curious. I wonder if George is playing with that in any way, that after the destruction of the lands in the long summer in Valyria, that all of a sudden ice is coming back. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if that's on his mind. I've been to Yellowstone. It was incredible, but it was also terrifying seeing the earth heave like that and seeing the active uh, volcanism that's going on and the magma chambers and the way it just kind of like puffs up in places from uh, lava and stuff like that. That is that is some scary stuff. Um, really gives you some really gives you. What is it? Um. A fear of volcanism. It's one of those things that doesn't impact our daily life. And you see it and you're like, oh, <laughs> we're really at the mercy of things that not, not happening. Um as fingers crossed on that one. No Yellowstone super volcano going up. Uh so let's do a little bit of promo stuff. Uh we're about halfway through. So we got all the all the goodies coming up now that we got the uh the groundwork out of the way. Um so if you missed it, um my recent video went up. Let me grab the uh link for you guys. It was about Lady Stoneheart, Rob Stark, and the Red Wedding 2.0. Um, let me go ahead and link that baby for you. And I did a bunch of streams around it too, talking about Thoros and Beric, um, all that stuff. Link right here. So if you haven't checked it out, I invite you to. It has nothing to do with the Doom of Valyria, but it's still <laughs> it's still some good uh, Winds of Winter comment, com, yeah, content and the uh, the old Rob zombie. I have another video coming up um, that I'm working on that I can't talk about because it's super secret and I don't want to give it away before I do it. Unlike I don't usually care about giving away most of the ideas behind my theories because um, they're usually so out there that people can't copy them, but can't talk about this one. Uh, also, starting this month, going to be doing patron only stuff. Uh, you can also find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Joe Going to be doing a, re- a read through of dying of the light george r, r. martin's 1977 story um his act his book that's right martin completed a book <gasps> oh my god uh it's from the thousand worlds which we were talking about earlier about this about the planet warlorn which is going around a um a dying star dying of the light there's a uh, there's multiple meanings to it it's one of his better things um so starting this month doing one chapter at a time or maybe one or two it's not that big it's a pretty short book honestly um you can see it right here that's dying of the light compared to his other ones so it's pretty short um so that'll be patron only stuff we have coming up um let's see here oh yeah so if you want to support me on patreon you get access to that at the five dollar level you also get access to my Patreon slack where a bunch of the questions that I'll be talking about today came from um and also there's links in the description but you can go to my Threadless list shop if you want to get yourself some ass waffle gear (laughs) or some uh, Joe Magician merch, go to uh, joemagician.threadless.com. Starting on the 16th, they're going to be doing a bunch of sales. Um, I think it's 15% off and free shipping. So if you haven't um, picked up anything or you're waiting for lower prices or something like that, starting on the 16th, Threadless will be doing a whole bunch of stuff. And I recommend the um, super soft shirts if you buy them. Those are the, the ones I have liked the best. Um, yeah, make sure you do all the things like subscribe, hit the the like button. 11 more likes. We're going to go full wizard hat for the rest of this. It's not a tinfoil hat. Sadly, I don't have one of those, but it may as well be my tinfoil hat when I put on that thing. Um, so yeah, slam the whole thing. Oh yeah. This fleece blanket is amazing. Mallory has one too. I fall asleep in my chair all the time with that thing. I don't care if if it makes me super childish to have a fleece blanket I fall asleep with. It's damn comfy. Damn damn comfy. So oh, I think that's that's all the promo stuff. Um I'll be guessing on Rio Westeros coming up. I forget when. We'll be talking about uh Samuel Tarly. Um I believe that's I don't know if I just preempted their announcement, but yeah, I'll be going back on Rio Westeros to talk about Samuel Tarly. Um that'll be that'll be awesome. Sam is a very interesting character that doesn't get enough love. Give Sam give Sam your attention. Um <laughs> Oh, only two away. Look at you guys slam in that MF and like button. <laughs> Aaron says someone asked you about your tree of swords ready the other day. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, it's from some guy on YouTube that I like watching. Yeah, it's it's normal shit. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Uh, Just in time for the goodbye. This is not the end of the stream. Just doing a mid midstream <laughs> pre-roll thing. Um, I know it sounds the same because I've perfected that little speech and that tone of voice that tells you that I'm about to do promo stuff. But. We're, we're just getting started here. We are just getting started on the Doom of Learia. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Ah, let me put this baby on properly. The old magician hat. There we go. That's what you guys want. This is this is what you like. <laughs> get more questions about your ass waffle shirt. <laughs> You're not a cash shirt. Ass waffle is a, a very important concept that more people should know about. Yes, the marketing voice. I have that one. Stream's not ending. Stop. <clears throat> All right, so let's get going. Um. So there's quite a lot of uh foreshadowing for the Doom of Valeria. very intriguing stuff, uh, especially if you're coming here from the um summer hall content. their dragon dreams pop up more than once. They did the first time <laughs> it's not just about Danny, it's not just about summer hall. Dragon dreams are crucial to the uh doom of Valeria. Hey, Anthony Coleman, I was just talking about that stuff, so uh glad you came over from um. Alt Shift's channel. So, Danis the Dreamer, the daughter of Aenar the Exile, saw the Doom coming. Twelve years before the Doom came, um, we get this story about Danis. This is how it goes. At its apex, Valyria was the greatest city in the known world, the center of civilization. With its shining walls, two-score rival houses, vied for power and glory in court and council, rising and falling in an endless subtle off Savage struggle for dominance. The Targaryens were far from the most powerful of the Dragon Lords, and their rivals saw the flight to Dragonstone as an act of surrender. Is this a new... No, um, lighting's probably just different. Um, and the rivals saw the flight to Dragonstone as an act of surrender as cowardice. But Lord Aenar's maiden daughter, Daenerys, known forever afterwards as Danis the Dreamer, had foreseen the destruction of Valyria by fire. And when the doom came 12 years later... The Targaryens were the only dragon lords to survive. <clears throat> so, Daenerys, much like other prophetic Targaryens that we've seen in the story, like uh, Dara the Drunkard or Damon the Second Blackfire, otherwise known as John the Fiddler um, in The Mystery Night, this actually comes up mostly in Duncan Egg, but perhaps the current story too. Daenerys saw Valyria coming and noticed her and, um, and convinced Aenar to leave Valyria or else die in the flames. It's unclear, honestly, how Danish did this. What did she say to Einar in order to convince him that her dreams were true, that they had to leave? Um, we don't know that, but we do have a hint to how that happened, and that is in the existence of the book known as Signs and Portents. If you're a longtime viewer of my channel, or even if you're not, um, this is a good time to go check out one of the videos. My Aemon and the Dreamer video, I talk about Signs and portents quite a lot. And Signs Importance is a mythical book written by Danies, where she documented all of her dreams and visions of the future, not just the ones about Valyria, all of them. And this is from somebody that is supposedly a true prophet. This is kind of where I got the idea that Eamon may have written down Daron's dreams as well as a new version of Signs Importance. But um, as I as I talked about in my Aemon the Dreamer, Amy and the and the Dreamer video, I speculate that the book may have been found during the time of King Ares I, and possibly also by Rhaegar and Marwyn later. Um, Marwyn claims, he's told Roderick the Reader, or he's put it in his book of lost books, that he found three pages of signs and portents. Um, so that is, that is some crazy stuff, some legitimate prophecies written down that have gone missing ever since. Very important book. And it also tells you, essentially, how did she convince Aenar? Well, she wrote them down. And over time, much like we see from Daron, enough of them came true that Aenar had to listen. Uh, but this also tells us something very important about Dany's. She wasn't a one-trick pony. She didn't just see the doom. And that was all she had. Um, she had many, many, many vis- visions of the future over her life and documented them. Uh, we see the same thing from... Egg and Aemon, they believe that Daron does see the future through his dreams, but obviously this didn't come all at once. It came from multiple times of him seeing things and then coming true and that leading to them going like, "All right, well, I guess Daron sees the future." Weird. Um this comes up mostly in the Mystery Night where uh we get the hint of Summerhall to come. Egg is talking about how Daron has seen the dragons coming back and how it would be splendid if he could have some dragons himself. Whoops on that one egg. Whoops a daisy. Um, I would love to read that sign's importance too. We probably won't because it will give everything away. Um, so you can assume the same thing happened here between Aenar and Daenerys that she was right so often that he had no choice but to believe her. That sounds a little like hokey and like would that somebody really do that? But, you know, Targaryens are weird and so are the Valyrians. Magic's real and so is prophetic dreams. So. It's only ridiculous in our real world and the current timeline when those things have largely uh, fallen away. Like magic has receded since the death of the dragons and the doom of Valyria, So characters are like, oh, that's kind of crazy. But it, you have to remember, it probably wouldn't be crazy during the time of Danis and Aenar. Um, it's also quite possible that Aenar never told the Freehold about the dreams and what Danis was seeing, uh, perhaps on purpose so no one would follow them. Uh, again, if you think about Valyria and their reliance on fire magic and blood magic and glass candles and all these other crazy things, if Danis was seeing something, it's quite possible they would have taken it seriously. So I'm guessing that Aenar did not tell anybody and they just left. And that's why he got laughed at. It's not that he was following the word of his daughter or anything like that. It's that he quit the freehold for no reason. They're like, what are you doing, man? You don't want to be rich and powerful anymore. What are you, some kind of strange? What are you, strange? What are you, weird? Um, and that's kind of the reaction we see from the freehold towards Aenar. So we get the story of Aenar and he lands on Dragonstone. Um, he also sets up shop there on Dragonstone because this is nearby. We were talking earlier about the Celtigars and the Valyrians. Both of them are within Blackwater Bay. Driftmark is right next to Dragonstone. The Celtigars are on Cracklaw Point. So they essentially found their <laughs> they found other Valyrians in Westeros and Settled down next to them. Um, You can sort of think of this as like somebody quitting like New York to go live in the hills. Basically, that's essentially how the Freehold considered Aenar's movements. They're like, what are you doing? You sold your company and gave up living in the big city to go live in the middle of nowhere. What the hell are you doing? Um, So one thing about Dragonstone that I found super interesting that I had forgotten about for a while, the Targaryens did not build Dragonstone. They didn't build the castle or the fortress around it. The Valyrians hundreds of years beforehand had set up Dragonstone as an outpost. They built the, the castle itself. They dug out the tunnels using their uh, their fire magic or whatever. And on the volcanic island, because, again, the Valyrians derive a lot of their power from the volcanoes. It seems that the the taming of the 14 flames was an important part of their um, an important part of their magic and backstory. So they saw a volcano, an active volcano abandoned. Yeah, that's where we're setting up shop. This is home. That's kind of what it was like. But um, over time, the Valyrians that had set up shop there for some reason abandoned Dragonstone. Nobody took over the castle in the meantime. Not even the Valyrians. When the Valarians showed up or even um, it's actually it seems like the Valyrians were there before um, this this was constructed. They did not take. Ownership of Dragonstone. They stayed on Driftmark and Castle Driftmark. So this was pre-existing. The Targaryens essentially walked into a um, an abandoned manor, more or less, an abandoned castle. Uh, the other thing that's really important about Dragonstone is that because it's an active volcano, it makes for a natural habitat for their dragons. Uh, that's what we see. Most of the dragons live on Dragonmont, which is the um, large mountain behind the the castle itself. They live in the caves. They live down near the lava. They seem to appreciate it. So it's the perfect location for Valyrian outpost. Uh, We hear this is also something to keep in mind that I'm going to come back to a little bit later. I got we're going to put another pin in this one. Uh, We hear in those 12 years that after Aenar uprooted and came to Westeros, uh, he was not cut off from Valyria itself. Um, We hear stories that in the 12 years after the Targaryens showed up, they only had Balerion because the other dragons were dead. A lot more dragon riders were suddenly showing up in Blackwater Bay. Balerions from the Freehold were visiting Aenar and the Targaryens. They were flying all the way to Westeros to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, he would fly a, a Balerion, and that's probably part of it, but people were coming to visit them. Um, they also were probably setting up contracts, that kind of thing he wanted to make to maybe set up trade from Westeros to the uh to the Valyrian colonies that kind of thing. So that that's that's something to keep in mind. The Valyrians were not they didn't know they weren't like, "Oh no, where the Targaryens go?" They were like, "They went there. They went to that outpost and we're going to go see them on our dragons. We're going to go talk to Aenar and see what's going on with them because obviously it's a big mystery why they left. They must have had friends, they must have had colleagues that um and the flight from uh, Valyria is not so not so long that you know a dragon lord couldn't make it. They obviously could. They were doing it. Always wondered why the Valyrians Velary- the didn't go to Dragonstone. Uh, yeah, it's unclear why they didn't take it over. Maybe they just didn't have the manpower to do it or the money. Um, they were pretty happy on Driftmark, I guess. But yeah, it was a uh, it was strange the Valyrians or the Sultagars did not take over. Dragonstone. Maybe there was um, an idea that they knew it was owned by somebody and they didn't want to essentially be there when some dragon lords showed up to take back their uh, their outpost. That could probably be part of it. They would be far more aware of how the uh, Freehold operates. Uh, but we do know one thing about Anar is that he did not change the Freehold's idea of sharing dragons and eggs. He married, he had Valarian women marry into his family But he did not give them dragons and he did not give them eggs. The Valerians only got dragons much later, largely during the Dance of the Dragons, uh, by Corlys's uh, marriages. The uh, marriages that he arranged between his children uh, with Rhaenyra and Daemon. So that's how the Valerians finally got their hands on dragons. But before that, the Targaryens were very careful to not have their daughters marry into other families they only would accept daughters that changed over time though uh so the other prophecy that is important to talk about is the uh this one's much less lesser known danies is an important part of the lore if you know anything about prophecy in this world you know about Danis the dreamer um oh Dornish james says do you know how long dragonstone was unoccupied or before the targaryens moved in uh i think a couple hundred years or something like that it was, uh, it was long abandoned when they showed up. They may have been the original owners, who knows. Um, so there's a prophecy about Casterly Rock and Valyria. Uh, the quote goes, The wealth of the Western lands was matched in ancient times with the hunger of the uh, freehold of Valyria for precious metals, yet there seemed to be no evidence that the dragon lords ever made contact with the lords of the Rock, Casterly or Lannister. Septon Barth speculate on the matter, referring to a Valyrian text that has since been lost, suggesting that the Freehold Sorcerers foretold that the gold of Cashley Rock would destroy them. What the hell? <laughs> that one comes out of nowhere. Uh, this is from the Western section of the World of Ice and Fire. This is largely the only time we hear about this, and it's this, it's this random line, but it shows that um, not only does this prophecy exist, but it seems to be, oh, we hit 175. All right. Shame to take off the uh, the wizard hat. It's time to germ it up. Go full turtle. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> Thank you guys for uh, hitting the like button. I really appreciate it. <clears throat> so that's the other prophecy about the end of Valyria. That's it. The Lannister gold. Don't touch uh, Lannisters or Casterlys and the gold of Casterly Rock. Or also destroy the entire thing. That seems to be a wild prophecy. But when they again talking about danies and Anar, they took it seriously. No evidence that the despite the fact that there was massive amounts of gold that the Valyrians ever took advantage of. Cashly Rock, which they could, they have dragons. If they wanted to, they could force an they could force them to trade with them. They just didn't do it. <clears throat> um, so we also get to the idea of despite these two things, no one saw the doom coming. But they should have, right? They live among 14 volcanoes. Uh, we were talking earlier about how real-life volcanoes explode and destroy or, uh, civilizations to the point that it's really dangerous for um, for anyone to set up your town or city near a volcano. Um, it's not just dormant ones, but the 14 flames were active. They actively were erupting. They, um, they weren't dead. So why did the Valyrians not fear that they would be destroyed by even one of the 14 flames exploding and destroying their civilization. Uh well, the answer to that is magic. Among the Valyrian uh fire mages and blood mages, there was supposedly some kind of spells or rituals they did which had to be periodically maintained that kept the volcanoes from erupting. That they had somehow mastered earth magic or fire magic to the point that they could prevent volcanoes from exploding and that's why they were completely unfazed by living in the shadow of 14 volcanoes um it's also important to note that it's very likely that these spells and rituals considering it's valeria and the idea of fire and blood magic being so tied to sacrifice that it's probably that these magic and rituals were maintained by slave sacrifices, that that's that's part of the reason they imported so many slaves. They needed to keep these um, whatever these spells were on the 14 flames consistent. So they needed a constant supply of people. Um, I'll see another super chat here from uh, vampress 99. Dragonstone is described as dank, dark and sulfurously smelly. Probably wasn't worth it for any family without dragons. That's probably true. <laughs> um, it's not a great place to live. Stannis hates it. Most people hate it. Dragon lords don't. Dragon think it's home. So uh, very strange. So, yeah, that, that's the whole thing. They um, There were these blood majors, fire mages, They kept up these spells and they apparently were not ever worried about these things exploding. Um, but it's also important to note, uh, talking again about connections to the Lord of the Rings. The Lyrians did not leave these volcanoes alone. They weren't just like sitting there not exploding they actively mined beneath the mountains and the volcanoes themselves they would import slaves and they would send them down into the tunnels beneath active volcanoes to try and mine uh gold and silver and gemstones this was uh part of the birth of obviously the faceless man and bravos these are the slaves that eventually rebelled against them we also know that the um that there were fireworms. these are essentially wingless dragons more or less that live beneath the that live beneath the volcanoes and would tunnel through the rock themselves they would periodically just you know pop out look at some see people down there roast them with their fire breath or eat them it was horrific um also full of creepy manticores yeah they were not good um oh question here from alan thompson do you think the god's eye was formed by a volcano i think it's very likely it definitely looks like a uh, a volcanic crater especially the way that it's it's so large and circular but it go it goes very deep and then there's the isle of faces in the middle which tells you that essentially there's like a cone of sorts coming up from the ground going up to the top of it that's not what meteors do meteors when they hit the ground they leave uh, just a giant conical um, a giant a giant um, bowl shape. The fact that there's something in the middle of the uh, volcano of the of the god's eye tells you that that's probably a, a volcanic eruption or something like that. It's very hard to have that happen otherwise, especially for something that deep. Um, the only other way that would happen would be glaciers, I think, if they carved it out. Um, no, not meteor strikes. That's not what they do. But anyway, um. So let's go back to the mining beneath it. Uh, if you want to think of what a fireworm is, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, there's the Morgoth's uh, first dragon, which is uh, Glaurung. It was a large, flightless lizard thing, which could also breathe fire. It lived among golden fire and could burrow and all those kind of things. So George's fireworms are borrowed from Lord of the Rings. Um, so with the slaves being constantly imported to work the mines, Uh, the mages using them as blood sacrifices to keep the volcanoes from erupting and a stable empire with no rivals anywhere in the world. They destroyed them all. The Kaskari were gone. The Roinar were gone. There's nobody left to challenge the Valyrians. It seemed perfectly safe to be in the Freehold. Uh, This is kind of why everyone laughed at Aenar. They were like, what are you doing? What are you afraid of? There's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing can touch us. The hubris of Valyria, as it it were. Um, So what could possibly... (laughs) threaten the dragon lords of Valyria. all right so let's get into the causes here so the one that's brought up first is what i called in my document divine ponage, basically uh there's a consistent idea in the books and in the world book um that valyria was somehow being punished for the horrors they re- unleashed upon the world and the gods of civilizations that they toppled that is essentially a um Everyone was everyone was coming for Valyria for everything they've ever done. So the quote here says: uh, Some septons, less wise, claim that the Valyrians brought the disaster on themselves for their promiscuous belief in a hundred gods or more, and that in their godlessness they delved too deep and unleashed the fires of the seven hells on the Freehold. So that's what the Faith of the Seven thinks. Uh, a handful of maesters influenced by the fragments of the work of Septon Barth, hold that Valyria uh, had used spells to tame the fourteen flames for thousands of years that their ceaseless hunger for slaves and wealth as was as much to sustain the spells as to expand their power, that when those spells uh, faltered, the cataclysm became uh, inevitable. Of course, some argue that it was a curse of Garen the Great at last come to fruition. Garen the Great was the last Roinish prince. Um, others speak of priests of R'hllor calling down the fire of their gods in queer wish- in rituals. So this is often repeated uh, the idea that Valyria was cursed, the that kind of thing. Um, characters who have some knowledge of the Doom, that's the overriding thing. That the Valyrians had too much hubris, they went too far, and the natural world essentially destroyed them. But, yeah, they and that they were essentially uh, smote from the world for all the things. Again, this is uh, a callback by George. The destruction of Numenor literally was the wrath of God, a.k.a. Eru Luvatar um sinking the entire island as punishment for them uh sailing to the to the to the valar basically they violated some ban they they broke a divine law um there's also the idea of the, the smoking sea and no one's able to recolonize the islands and all these people that essentially um <clears throat> and all these people disappeared trying to take back valeria that uh, Yeah, it seems like it is cursed. Seems like there's some gods or something that are making sure nobody can go back to Valyria. You know, the idea of like Icarus who flies too high and that kind of thing. <clears throat> it's important to note that a lot of these people that are claiming that it was their gods or it was punishment for something else are like largely pumping themselves up like the septons are like, aha, fear the seven. Look what they did. They took down the freehold, those godless pricks. They could do that to you, too, because the seven are all powerful um Garen's curse and the water wizards and the old man of the river that's another way for the what remains of the are to reclaim um some power in their lives that was taken from them from the Lyria so it's like ah Garen's curse got them that kind of thing um so it's parts of this are largely marketing like they're they're pushing that they were responsible for taking out the freehold because they were the most powerful so that's an important thing you can claim to do um don't know why you would move your civilization. You knew there were a few mages standing between you and Obliteration. Uh yeah, the the, the Valyrians thought no big deal. We got it under control. Um uh, Atlantis, Atlantis is like the city of Atlantis. Yeah, it's probably also inspired by the story of Atlantis, but that's largely um the story of the Minoans, basically. Like that that was a real thing that happened. There was a civilization that ended in one day. Atlantis was based on that. Um, but it's also like not impossible. Um, magic doesn't exist in this world. Barak comes back to life. Melisandre creates shadow babies. The children of the forest through their weirwoods can apparently travel through time. There's glamours and glass candles. Uh, we have really no idea where these power originate in the world. Maybe there are actual gods. Maybe there are like ruinous water wizards out there. I mean, it's not impossible, but uh, I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think somebody after a few hundred years looked at Valyria like a god and said, all right, wait for it. Wait for it. Now. And then threw a volcanic eruption at them and ended their civilization. Uh, that's probably not what was going on. But this is a very common thing we see in the real world. Natural disasters are often explained um, by the faithful of various religions as sort of divine punishments. Uh, like the the idea of the Great Flood and Noah's Ark was God wiping out the world for a population because they were too sinful, basically. Uh, there's tons of other stories about the same kind of thing in modern times, like bad, bad hurricanes, natural disasters, you'll often see people in the news blaming it on people being sinful or the, um, the world going to hell. And it's like, well, this is God punishing all of us for that kind of thing. Um, God help us. We even, we even heard it with COVID people blame COVID on, uh, sins of the real world. So that's not, um, it's not, implausible that george brings up these examples that different religions and groups are essentially blaming the fall of the freehold and the eruption of volcanoes on their own sins that's a real thing um but i think that's that makes it highly unlikely to be true that's what's going on here the scattershot nature and that so many people are trying to take credit for the destruction of the freehold uh shows you that yeah it's not um it's not going on that's not what's going on and it's uh, largely using what's known as post hoc ergo propter hoc logic to explain it. What that means in, um, in Latin is after this, therefore, because of this. Uh, the, that's an ancient uh, logic, logical thing, but it's often used as a fallacy. Um, the idea goes that since the most recent thing the Valyrians did that was awful was destroy the Roinar, the logic goes that these are the sins that upon um, the rest of the world that caused the doom. Um, if, if you want to think of another way of thinking about that kind of logic, it's essentially the classic example is the rooster crows before sunrise. Therefore, the rooster caused the sun to rise. Um, another way of saying it is correlation is not causation. That's basically what it means. So the fact that the the Valyrians did a lot of awful things and recently does not mean that's what the doom was caused by. It's um same kind of thing. Yeah, guilty Undertaker. People claim Hurricane Katrina was divine punishment and not a horrible hurricane, like a freak of nature. It happens when uh, when the world goes crazy and the natural world essentially knocks a few cities off the planet. Uh, people often look to the divine for what what caused it, and that's usually not what's going on. <laughs> um, again, same thing not here. No, the correlation of the of the Valyrian Empire doing horrible things is not the same as causing it. Although there may have been specific horrible things they did that caused it to happen. All right, here we go. This is the one you guys have been waiting to talk about. The Faceless Men, that the Doom of Valyria was not an accident, that it was not caused by volcanoes randomly erupting, that instead it happened on purpose. Dun, dun, dun. Creepy music. Oh, my God, it's the Faceless Men they did it george bush caused the doom oh my god so uh this is one that's kind of presented as a fan theory but it's usually act, it's this is one that's kind of like more or less presented in the text you know like the my favorite example is that some folks try to claim that um ned plus ashara is Jon snow when that's not really a fan theory cersei just says it in the books and that's the same thing here this is a, a conspiracy that comes from aria talking to the kindly man so we see this in a feast for crows aria's being lit a little bit more into the back room of what's going on with the faceless men how they created george finally provides a backstory for what the hell these guys are which he didn't do for like five books oh four books uh so he talks about how the first faceless man awoke to the idea of the many-faced god um in the valyrian slave mines it was so horrible that he realized they were all praying to all their gods and nothing was happening. Maybe there was only one god who's, who's the god of death or something like that. Um, from this first faceless man, we get the rebellion against the Valyrians and the forming of Braavos. Um, that's common knowledge. like uh, Everyone knows that's where Bravos came from. They're Valyrian slaves that escaped. They made their secret city. They unmasked themselves. Then the doom happened. And they've just been essentially moving on ever since. That's, that's uh, fairly fairly common um but this is the part that's not common knowledge this is the thing that the kindly man drops on Arya that led people to suspect that it wasn't a a random series of volcanic eruptions especially that all 14 went off at once uh this is the quote all gods have their instruments men and women who serve them and help to work their will on earth the slaves were not calling out to a hundred different gods as it seemed but to one god with a hundred different faces." And he was that god's instrument. That very night, he chose the most wretched of the slaves, the one who had prayed most earnestly for release and freed him from his bondage. The first gift had been given. Aria drew back from him. He killed the slave? That did not sound right. He should have killed the masters. He would bring the gift to them as well. But that is a tale for another day. One best shared with no one. He cocked his head. And who are you, child? So that's... That's the, uh, that's the hint right there. The masters in this example are the Valyrian slave masters, the dragon lords, the fire mages, and the kindly man is saying that the faceless men brought the gift of death to them as well. The implication here is that eventually maybe they went back and they killed a bunch of the former masters, but with the, the proximity of the unveiling of um, the unmasking of Bravos, and then the destruction of Valyria, Fans have taken this to mean that the faceless man is taking credit for the doom of Valyria, that it was uh, revenge for their, the slaving. Uh, it makes a lot of sense on the face of it. We have this group of hyper effective magical assassins that descend from Valyrian slaves. They have a vested interest in protecting Bravos from the Freehold. And honestly, as long as the Freehold stood, they would never be safe from dragons showing up one day and destroying it. So it's not hard to think, of, think that they may have constructed in their minds that it was a moral good to destroy all of the freehold, cause the doom somehow. And that would be the way that you keep Bravo safe and free the world from their tyranny. Um, so there is some doubt on this idea that maybe the kindly man isn't talking about the doom itself, or maybe he's making it up, that kind of thing. But I think context here is really important when you're talking about the faceless man, I mean, the kindly man saying this, he doesn't actually claim credit for the doom. He stops short of doing that. And he's saying that that story is best safe for no one, meaning that Arya is not ready to be let inside that circle of knowledge. Um, it's implied that they caused the doom, not outright said. But it's also that nobody else could hear this. It's not like He's on a grandstand talking about how great Bravos is that we took down the freehold like all the other other people are. This is in this is in private. This is not something that's meant to be uh, spread around. And also, the kindly man uh, demonstrates honestly knowledge of how the volcanoes were kept in check. That it spells in rituals from Valyrian sorcery. Um, That's that's some insider knowledge. Uh, Another thing that goes into this is that being former slaves and the way that we see the Valyrian, I mean, the way that we see the Faceless Men train, basically, is that, I mean, look at what he, look, look what they do with Arya. They have her learn to integrate into the society in order to choose her targets, report back, watch and figure out how to assassinate this person to report knowledge back. So the Faceless Men, some people like Jockin just basically go out and kill people, but her training is, is uh, getting her to be a spy. It's getting her to be essentially a sleeper agent. So you can imagine that as the faceless men's ranks, uh, ranks swelled, that they did the same thing with Valyria, that um, they set up people all throughout the society, which they would know to do. They are They did come from the slave classes. They would know how to pretend to be in the right place. They would learn all the secret passages and stuff that comes from servants. It would make them be in a perfect position to essentially if they wanted to, activate all their sleeper agents at once and kill all the, the fire mages, basically, and cause the doom. Um, that's basically what her training is. It's not just, it's not just uh, like, like Hitman or something like that. They are learning to um, totally integrate themselves into a society or some kind of culture or place before they do it. So that's something, uh, that's something to think about. I mean, even the way they teach Arya to kill, is not even that impressive. They're not teaching her like crazy sword skills. They're not teaching her to like run off roofs or something like Assassin's Creed. It's, it's intelligence gathering that they're having her do. Um, <clears throat> so I think that works in favor of the idea that the Faceless Men had caused the doom. If you want to find an organization that could kill all the mages at the same time in order to cause it. Yeah, they could. They're the one organization that really could. Um, and this gets back to the uh, question from Maura Lee earlier. She said, we know the Faceless Men played a major role in the Doom and they gave their gift to all the slaves and to the masters. My question is, though, did the Faceless Men know the Doom would happen if they did this? Did they want to play a role in this? And if so, why? Um, so I think that, yes, I think that the Faceless Men deliberately caused the doom of valyria that they figured out how the spells worked they figured out um who the fire mages were cataloged who they were and essentially did a mass hit all at once and um and probably killed them all so that all the the magic failed and then all the volcanoes erupted that were being held back um and you know the as i said earlier the the reason of protecting Bravos and ending the slave trade that goes through valyria is a very good reason like like i said at any point the the dragon lords could say you know what screw bravos we don't want a free city out there we're gonna send the full might of the dragon lords and we're just gonna roast it to the ground and they wouldn't be able to stop them so an offensive move like this would honestly be the only way they could have defense against them um I, i think that's essentially the reasoning I find the idea that the faceless men did it is just based on what the, the kindly man told her told Arya, and the motivation set up. I think it, I think it all matches. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, Lear being destroyed was kind of a good thing. Uh, yeah, kind of, it's, uh, it was a horrible day. A lot of people, innocent people died. Um, but like it was such a horrific empire and how they treated people, the genocides they committed, the mass slavery, that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe it wasn't such a bad thing. Um, it's, it's hard to say, though. I mean, it's if anyone had it coming, it was the Valyrian Empire, let's say. Um, so this is also supported in the text. I talked about this earlier. We get the line that the maesters suspected it was the infighting among the dragon lords that caused the doom. Um, some, wedding the fanciful notion of Valyrian magic to the reality of ambitious great houses of Valyria, have argued that it was a constant whirl of conflict and deception amongst the great houses that might have led to the assassinations of too many of the reputed mages who renewed and maintained the rituals that banked uh, the fires of the 14 flames. So this makes a lot of sense. Maybe the Faceless Men, um, so when you're talking about they're the premier assassins in the world, before the unmasking of Bravos, nobody knows that that's who they are. Nobody knows that they're a Bravosi organization. So they could have very easily taken contracts assassinations among rival valyrian dragon lords especially those against for instance the fire mages and uh did them on purpose and lined them up the right way maybe even giving discounts to them to make sure that they got the contracts but essentially whittling down the organizations of the fire mages slowly to the point that they could finally just like kill a few people and knock over the whole thing Um, you have to imagine that they did have backups that there were trainees and other people that could step in if the main if the head of the fire mages or whatever died well if you're if over like the course of many years you're taking out contracts and slowly whittling it down until there's not that many people left while you're creating a situation where one night of killings could effectively cause all the spells to fail um you know, you could just pretend you're a guild of assassins and you don't have a specific secret goal to take down the freehold and you're that you're trying to essentially pay back the masters for their sins. Um, another thing that that's interesting to note about this is we know the faceless men change their prices depending on who is hiring and who the target is. Uh, they will even refuse some contracts. It's not a it's not a big stretch of logic to imagine that with their intimate knowledge of the freehold and their society and the way that um, Arya is being trained to effectively act, that these former slaves uh, would be well suited to take these contracts, discover who they, and who they need to kill and use the, this intimate knowledge of the freehold society to, you know, construct a plan to knock off the doom. <laughs> sounds a bit like the other genocide and mass slavery. Yeah. They're uh, two sides of the same coin. That kind of thing. Yes, that's right. Alan Thompson. She uh, is being taught critical thinking, uh, observe, observing the world and kind of clever killing methods. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. She's being traded as a spy, less as an assassin. Um, They do overlap, but she's being trained in a specific way. Um, So it's it's it kind of gets to the point that like maybe some in some way the voerians destroy themselves by hiring the faceless men to take out their rivals not realizing they are feeding into this long-running plan to destroy the um to destroy the freehold honestly their rise to getting to that point may have involved taking out rival assassination groups within the freehold so that they were the only ones getting assassin contracts so that they could pick out who dies and when in order to manipulate it to this kind of situation so then we get to the idea that the doom was an inside job (laughs) i gotta love it actually uh jess in the chat says what if a targaryen paid them to destroy valyria so get into that one right now so some have speculated that maybe the house that paid the faceless men to take out the to take out the their rivals back in the freehold after they left may have been the Targaryens themselves. Um, Guilty undertaker. He left a a question in the Slack before we went live. Um, He said, what do you think the idea that the doom was an inside job more specifically it was house Targaryens doing was Einar Targaryen simply fortunate enough to have a daughter with a gift for prophecy, which allowed him in his house to avoid perishing the doom. Or did he make the dreamers prophecy happen? Uh, We don't know who specifically sold the Lancers' roar, but the Targaryens being closest to Westeros would be a good bet. And if it was them, and they did hire the Faceless Men, raises questions about motive. Did they do it just to become the only dragon riders in the world, or is there another motive? Uh, So uh, we're going to go ahead and and get into all that, but that's kind of the, yeah, the the question is, did the Targaryens do it? So this goes back, we're going to go ahead and grab that pin back out of the the gold of Casterly Rock bring about the end of the freehold the valyrians apparently took this super seriously there's no evidence that they ever had any um, trade with anybody that lived in Casterly Rock until the sale of the valyrian stor- steel sword bright roar we don't know who did it but somebody within the valyrian empire sold the valyrian steel sword bright roar to the lannisters and they did it for what was a mountain of gold Um, probably because this was like sort of like a contraband thing. Like everyone knew apparently within the freehold not to deal with the Lannisters, but somebody did. Uh, this is, this is another fun side effect of all this. The Valyrians would often upsell like Valyrian steel and stuff to Westerosi, but they were charged like massive, massive amounts more than they are worth. They were relatively common within the freehold. Um, just like castle forge steel within Westeros, but they kept the secrets, how to make it. So they essentially created a monopoly on it and charge whatever they want. So they went to the Lannisters and said, oh, how much uh, how much money do you? They were like, we want to buy a Valyrian steel sword. And the merchant went, how much money do you have? And they said they said a number. He said, that's the price. That's basically what happened. Um, But somebody broke this prophecy. Somebody within the Freehold essentially gambled with the future of Valyria as far as they're concerned by taking by taking this order. Um, the implication goes on that this gold, this massive amount of gold the Lannisters paid to somebody within the Freehold may have been the money that got paid to the Faceless Men in order to um, pay for a bunch of the assassinations in order to, um, to set up the Doom of Valyria from the Faceless Men's side of it. Um, as we know from the books, the Faceless Men change their prices depending on the, tar- the difficulty of the target and who they are. So the uh, the quote here from Littlefinger, he says, you know what, and you have any idea how costly they are, Littlefinger complained, you could hire an army of common sellswords for half the price, and that's for a merchant. I don't dare to think what they might ask for a princess. So apply that to the Freehold, okay? So if it's a mountain of gold for a princess, how much would the, the faceless men charge for fire mages or the m- members of the Freehold, like the most powerful people in the world? A mountain of gold, probably. And this influx of gold from the sale of Brightroar may have been uh, what did it, that may have paid for a lot of the assassinations that led up to uh, the eventual doom itself with the, the, with the killing, the mass killing of the fire mages. Uh, another thing that you could probably logically think this through. So why would somebody do this? Well, a house in distress, somebody within the freehold that needs a lot of money fast and has rivals that are, they are worried about. Um, the Faceless Men also benefit from getting rid of Lear once and for all. Yes, definitely. The the Faceless Men definitely had their own um their own agenda, but it would make sense if they were also taking out contracts at the same time to help that out to essentially drain money from the freehold, pay for what they're doing, that kind of stuff. So it kind of, it works together. Um so yeah, a house in distress that is so worried about their future. That they would sell bright roar, they would sell Valyrian steel to the Lannisters for a mountain of gold, and it was worth taking that massive risk. So this is where we get back to the Targaryens. <clears throat> um, one thing that I, I talked about earlier, and that we're bringing back now, because this is this is very important to um, how you would justify the Targaryens being behind the possibly the sale of bright roar, and then the hiring of the Faceless Men. What's under underestimated and not widely talked about is that the move to Dragonstone made the Targaryens the um, made them enemies of the Freehold. But like, but why? Why would they be enemies of the Freehold? Well, the thing is, when they left the Freehold, they did something that no one else did, that they didn't allow anywhere else in the world, that they didn't allow even Volantis. They didn't allow the most powerful members of their society to do. They took dragons out of Valyria. They took dragons and dragon eggs out of Valyria. Okay. Think back. Remember, nobody else can do this. The Targaryens leaving the freehold took Balerion, two other dragons and a bunch of dragon eggs with them. Um, And this gets back to the idea. remember the story I told you earlier that there, for some reason, there were a lot of dragon lords that were flying to Blackwater Bay and, um, and meeting with the Targaryens. Well, Sure, it could just be like normal social visits, but it perhaps get a little more sinister if you realize that the the Freehold was very concerned about the fact that Einar left with their dragons and that they're now in Westeros, they're outside of their power. This is a really serious problem with the Freehold. They, without fail, have refused throughout their entire history to let dragons and eggs outside of the lands of the Long Summer. It's it. We see the same kind of thing with um, Jaharis, Jaharis the first, and his sister Reina. I talked about this in my video, uh, a murder on Dragonstone, with why Jaharis may have tried to kill Reina. One of the main reasons is that Reina had let the dragon eggs leave Dragonstone with Alyssa Farman and be sold in the east. And one of his counselors is like, "Oh, it's not a big deal. They won't be able to hatch them." And Jaharis says, "No, it's a massive deal." If they hatch the dragon eggs, if they get back to Volantis, the Freehold is coming back and we're going to have to mount all out war on Essos. Well, apply that here. It's the same kind of thing. Imagine Aenar as a um, pulling an Alyssa farm and He removed the most powerful part of the Freehold out of their control. So that could very well make them enemies of the Freehold and all these visitors that are coming the Blackwater Bay to talk to him are essentially saying like, hey, like, it's cool. You quit the freehold. Like, no, he's mad about that. But you have to give the eggs back. You can't you have to give Balerion back. You can't keep these here. They have to come back home. And Aenar essentially flipping the bird <laughs> just saying, like, no, they're my dragons. I, this is my home now. I'm we're members of the freehold. We're allowed to have them. Can imagine that story probably didn't go over super well back in the freehold. And if they can't convince him to do it out of the goodness of his heart, if they can't buy him off, well the next solution is wiping the Targaryens and Balerion off the face of the earth. So that could create the the stress needed, the uh the impetus, the motivation for why the Targaryens may be behind the doom of Valyria, but not like not necessarily. I don't think they probably went to if you believe this theory, I don't think the idea is that um, like Aenar sold Brightwar, took the money, and then went to Faceless Men and said, you have to wipe out the Freehold. He may have said, more or less, um, if you want to imagine this out, the faceless, he went to the Faceless Men and said, take out the people in the Freehold that are demanding I return my dragons in order to keep his family safe, that kind of thing. And then the Faceless Men say, sure, buddy, we'll only take out them. They use the money coming, they use these contracts along with the various other ones that they know are going around Valyria and organize all at once this mass killing of the fire mages. Oh, did we hit 200 likes? Oh, nice. Uh, I guess we'll do a shirt giveaway. Um, So let's do Let's do a. How should we do this? We'll do a thing uh, in the comments again after the video, after the stream ends, uh, guys, stick around to the end and leave a comment on this video saying um something to do with the doom of Valyria. um tell me in the comments of of this stream when it ends we can't do it right now because you can't leave comments while it's live after the video ends type out a comment telling me um who is your favorite dragon in a song of ice and fire or in the history of it um and say Leave a a uh, just say it's for the giveaway. We're going to give away a T-shirt to my Threadless shop. So, yeah, that's what we'll do after the video ends. After the stream ends, go to the comments. Tell me your favorite dragon and I'll pick somebody randomly that leaves the comment. I'll give you a free T-shirt from my Threadless shop. Um, (laughs) Yes. Mutually assured destruction. Um, So if you want to believe the Targaryens did this, this is probably a good reason for why the export of dragons outside Valyria is a massive, massive, massive problem for them. That is reinforced in fire and blood through Jaharis. So the freehold Targaryens' days may have been numbered on Dragonstone. Give back Beleriand and the dragon eggs, or you're done. Um, so if you want to, if you want to believe, I think the the basic level one, the basic idea of the faceless men did it for their own motives. I think that makes tons of sense. That's probably true. Um, the next level up is that it was. <laughs> An inside job, essentially, that the Valyrians paid each other off. I think that might be true. I don't think the the Faceless Men needed the motivation, basically, but they may have taken them in order to slowly whittle down the numbers. But okay, that, that's like that's that's a bit more tinfoil. The Targaryen thing is very tinfoil to me. I mean, it's hard to believe they would do it. Um, and there's no, you think it would be noted somewhere that they sold Bright Roar for the like the Mountain of Gold, that kind of thing. Um, so, but that's the idea, basically. That's, that's what we got going on. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there's a few other possibilities though. We'll go over those. Um, so this one's, this one's pretty short, but it may be something like, um, the Mines of Moria from Lord of the Rings. So we learn in Lord of the Rings that, uh, the end of the great dwarven city of, um, Khazad-dum, I think that's how you pronounce it, doom, hmm, otherwise known as, uh, the Mines of Moria. Uh, was destroyed um, because they dug too deep and they awakened a Balrog known as Durin's Bane. Uh, so brief backstory and what this is. So we see the Mines of Moria in the uh, Fellowship of the Ring movie. It's in the first book, I believe uh, they go into there, all the dwarves are dead. They read the book, they read about what happened. And essentially what happens is they awoke a fire demon known as a Balrog. That's no, called Durin's Bane. And they were digging deeper and deeper and deeper uh, chasing mithril, which is uh, a valuable metal substance. When they got too deep, they found the Balrog who had been hiding out under there for thousands of years, um, hiding from the the forces of Eru. I know this is is a lot to take on uh, very quickly, but essentially the Balrog was underneath Moria, okay? They dug down, they hit it, it woke up, and then it went up to the surface and killed most of the dwarves, those that survived were killed by orcs and goblins um now that story is very similar to one that's being told here in a song of ice and fire there's definitely an idea that the valyrians dug too deep and that they found something down underneath the 14 flames that caused it um i think the the thematic resonances are pretty strong that i mean george directly references this in the stories of um directly references this in the story of uh, the doom of Lyria. It's one of the suggestions that they went way too far down and they awoken something from the earth. Uh, maybe something like Durin's Bane, George's version of the Balrogs uh, woke up and destroyed the caused the doom of Lyria. Um, there's also the idea of the curse, the curse of the, of the doom still holds sway. And that's more or less the same thing that's happening in the minds of Moria. The Balrog is still alive long after it happened making sure nobody can come back and live there except for the orcs and goblins. Um, After Gandalf slays the Balrog, I believe they go back and they, they colonize it again. But you know, this is a, this is a never ending cycle. It's a hard to hold place, but I think this is more or less just inspiration basically that George took like the, um, the story of the Minoans and Atlantis and the destruction of Numenor and the destruction of the Mines of Moria here. And he kind of, Put them all together and created the doom. Not that um, this is meant to be literally what happened. I don't think there's a Balrog underneath uh, Valyria. Although who knows? Maybe maybe there is. George is a crafty guy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, sure. Maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe is a Balrog underneath the do- underneath Valyria and he woke up and destroyed everything. Sure, I guess so. Um, but I, I think it's largely a thematic, it's a reference sort of thing, not not literally true. But there's one last one. Okay. So there's one last possibility, and this is the most tinfoil, and that tinfoil is the children of the forest. Whoa, I know, right? (laughs) Actually, I saw you guys talking about this while I was going through it earlier. Uh, This is the most tinfoily. This is um, one that's not super well supported, but it just it's kind of like a logical consequence of a few other things. Like um, when you're talking about the faceless men, the kindly man pretty heavily suggests that they cause the doom, and there's suggestions about you know, the gold and the prophecy. And they literally say in the text, George says in the text of the world of ice and fire, that part of it was that a bunch of assassins killed too many fire mages. But there's also perhaps, uh, the children were behind it. So I talked about this in my horn of winter episode that the shattering of the arm of Dorne and the neck are also massive, magical cataclysms that get blamed on the green seers. Um, the hammer of waters as they're called. Nobody really knows what it is, but it sounds to me like volcanic eruptions or earthquakes, like the giants waking from earth sort of thing. Um, so if you suggest that if they broke the arm of Dorn and broke the neck using magic that can cause earthquakes and maybe volcanic eruptions, isn't that what the doom is? Doesn't that seem like the same thing? Like how far is it from one to the other? I don't think it's very far at all. Uh, I've also thought about like the idea of what happened in the neck, like the shattering, because we know that with the destruction of Valyria, it essentially turned from one large man mass uh, landmass into a bunch of islands. Well, look at the iron islands. Those look like they could have been a larger landmass around Iron Man Bay. Maybe that was a large volcano that exploded at some point far in the past. Um, curious, but essentially, so let's go back to like why this could even be possible. So for one thing, the children are call themselves the singers of the earth. They are heavily, heavily um, referenced to have something to do with volcanism and earth magic. Uh, They use volcanic glass, otherwise known as obsidian as their weapons. They live in these large underground tunnels that very well could be uh, what's called a lava tube. Um, If you're not super familiar with uh, geology, when a volcano um, dies, basically and there's no more vol- um there's no more lava coming up it's 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 gone dormant basically the tubes or the tunnels or the um the caves that used to be where all this magma was sometimes can be solidified into tunnels basically tunnels you can walk through i mean not super common but it seems like george has a pretty good bead on geology uh, about this kind of stuff so um and we know they literally have magical powers so possibly um uh, volcanoes are also you know terrifying natural events like that i think that's one thing that gets lost on the idea if you just talk about the doom in terms of it being the faceless men doing it it's um they may have unleashed the natural world but it's the natural world that essentially slapped the shit out of lyria uh volcanoes and earthquakes and these kind of geologic um horror shows are some of the lar- some of the most powerful and wide-scale elements of our world that can fundamentally change everything and we really are at the mercy of all of them we just like we basically live day to day hoping that today is not the day a volcano explodes or an earthquake explodes because i mean we saw what happened with um what's the what's a recent example uh the tsunamis that hit japan with the destruction of the Fukushima nuclear reactor i mean all these things we're just hoping they don't happen somewhere we care about but other examples like pompeii or the Minoans, um, Krakatoa, that kind of thing. These are civilization enders and fingers crossed. So would it be really that surprising if we're talking about a group of magical little forest elf things that supposedly have the power to break land bridges, sink the neck, could they cause a volcano explode? Yeah, maybe. I mean, why not? It's not the, um, it's not that far off. They're basically the same thing. Earthquakes, are the results of geologic activity and so are volcanoes so one goes to the other uh they often volcanoes and earthquakes are signs of one another actually somebody in the chat earlier said there've been a bunch of earthquakes recently at yellowstone it was making them nervous it's like yeah well, earthquakes are usually the precursor or can be the precursor to volcanic eruptions um yeah well, we got bitch slapped by nature yep so the missing part here for if even if they can why would the children of the forest cause the doom of Valyria um so when we look at the time frame when it happened the Valyrians are not necessarily threatening the children of the weirwoods but you could make the argument that the arrival of the Targaryens with their dragons on Dragonstone and the increasing amount of frequent visits remember I was talking about the frequent visits to Blackwater Bay may have spooked the children in the greenseers they've been living pretty happy without any dragon lords on the um on the continent they're probably going to be very unhappy if they, if they make a perfect, if they make a permanent settlement there. Um, in addition, if you look at, I mean, <laughs> you look at season eight of game of Thrones, God help us. Um, a large part of that was the children of the forest through Bran essentially ending the dragon Lords. Um, like that's, that's the ending of King Bran. It's the destruction of the, uh, the dragons and the Valyrians. So, That could be the end of a long-term strategy to get rid of them. Um, That could perhaps have something to do with it. Um, There's also actually somebody in the chat just. Oh, sorry, Dornish Dame in the chat just brought up Hardhome. Uh, There's apparently another supposed volcanic eruption that happened just before the Doom. Um, The the wildling city of Hardhome was destroyed. Uh, Here we go. Hardhome was once the only settlement approaching a town in the lands beyond the Wall, sheltered on Storold's Point. And commanding a deep water harbor but 600 years ago it was burned and its people destroyed though the watch cannot say for certain what happened some say that cannibals uh from skagos fell on them others say that slavers uh, from across the narrow sea were a fault the strangest stories from a ship of the watch sent to investigate tell of hideous screams echoing down from the cliffs above hard home where no living man or woman could be found so fans have speculated that this may be a um that this may be a volcanic eruption around Hard home, as sort of the similar ideas, the way an entire town disappeared very quickly, um, everything destroyed, the people gone. That's kind of what happens when a volcano goes off um, near where people live. So uh, others have suggested that if this was a volcanic explosion, this is very tinfoil, by the way. This is put on your tinfoil crown for these. Uh, that it's maybe was a test for the doom that um. They weren't sure if they could make a volcano explode, so they made one explode at hard home. and it was kind of like a nuclear test. Um, like the U.S. government did that for nuclear weapons. They tested them in the desert of Nevada and at the Bikini Atoll. So maybe they weren't sure they could still do it, so they tried one out. Um, yeah, Bryson Chung in the chat says the children live through two major migration events that nearly caused them to go extinct. Maybe they're trying to prevent a third. Yeah, Valyrians and their dragons are a, a massive threat to everyone that lives in Westeros. Um, and it actually kind of answers a question in a weird way. There's a long-standing question in, um, I'm not, to, uh, <laughs> Jess, I'm not convinced it was a volcano either. As I said, tinfoil hat firmly on for that one. I don't know if that one's true. It's, uh, yeah, New Mexico too. They uh, they tested all over the place. So there's a curiosity in the history of Westeros that many people have noted that why did the Lyrians not take over Westeros before? When you think about Aegon, Rhaenys, and Visenya, they, it was just the three of them and their three dragons, and they basically conquered the whole place very, very, very quickly. So it shows that these petty kings in Westeros were nothing to the Lyrians. The full might of the empire could have washed over them many times over. Even like, This is like a fraction of the Targaryen power of what it used to be when they were in the freehold. So why did no one do it? Well, this could be a sign that there's been a long-standing war between the the Green Seers and their use of the Weirwoods, that they've essentially been trying to keep the dragons and the Valyrians from coming to Westeros. We know that their tactics against the Andals and the First Men um essentially involved using their psychic powers to give them bad dreams and to mess with their minds to make them essentially end up worshipping the Weirwoods rather than chopping them down. So could it be that the, the children have been staging a long-standing magical war against the Valyrians? Because we know that dragons have been in Westeros before. They found skeletons there. So clearly anybody that's tried to make a dragon colony on Westeros has failed and died and left and not come back. So that could be uh, proof that the children have been essentially they essentially view the first men and the Andals as like annoyances. But their big enemy, the thing they really worry about is dragon lords, which would make sense. They could burn down all their trees and all their forests and kill them relatively easily. Um, uh, Could it be connected to the same magic in the wall that doesn't let dragons fly across it? That doesn't let you go north of the wall. But remember, the, the children used to be all throughout Westeros top to bottom they've been pushed beyond the wall so there's no real reason for dragon lords not to conquer westeros i mean it's got it's got open lands it's got natural resources it has people to be slaved the valyrians didn't want to do it for some reason so so anyway if you want to have the tinfoil that the children were behind the doom and this is part of a long-standing war against the dragon lords and valyria and that kind of thing you could make the argument. I don't find it that convincing personally, um, but it is an argument you could make. But it's it's a lot of conjecture. It's a lot of layering theories upon each other. It's a lot of inferences. So there's not a lot there. I mean, there are, dra- yeah, there's dragon bones on Westeros, but that doesn't really tell us much. Like maybe one flew over while it was dying and crash landed. Like that doesn't, you know what I mean? So I think that's the most tinfoil. I think in terms of like, let's go from like most, tinfoil to most reasonable. So I think the most tinfoil is the idea that the children caused the doom. Um oops sorry. Yeah, there's stuff like Battle Isle, but who knows why that collapsed. There's no you could say it's the children, but again this is this is a lot of speculation. This is a lot of uh guesswork. So I don't really know. So in terms of like most re like okay, so least reasonable to mostly reasonable, least reasonable is probably the idea of like Durin's Bane. Yeah like the dwarves and mines of Moria thing. Uh, that's suggested I don't think it's probably true above that would be the um the idea that it was like divine judgment in some way like relore, <laughs> like smote the Valyrians uh, I don't think that one's what's happening either above that the children of the forest they at least possibly have the powers to do it and they have motivations but I, I don't know we need to hear a lot more about like the children and interactions with Valyrians and the dragon lords to come to a conclusion that they are the reason they never came to westeros um above that i would say the targaryens caused the doom but inadvertently that uh it was aenar the exile that he sold bright roar in order to hire faceless men who then took his money and used that to destroy valyria there's something there but it's i I don't really know that's pretty tinfoily um right above that is that the faceless men in general were taking money and contracts from the from the Valyrians in just like in court politics and using that in order to finance and set up Doom of Lyria. That seems pretty reasonable to me. Um it's mentioned a few times humans are humans no matter where they live so it wouldn't be that hard to set it up and slowly whittle them down. And the top level is that the Faceless men um didn't need any contracts. They didn't need anybody's money. They just did it for their own interests to protect themselves in Bravo which that seems fairly easy for me to understand that. And it's like, it's well supported. The faceless man, the kindly man lays out the logic behind it. He lays out the hints. It's in the text. So that'll be, that would be how it would go. Um, but the Targaryen's doing it because they took their dragons with them. That is something to think about that. That was so um, set up in fire and blood as a major conflict point for Jaehaerys. And George has reemphasized it, that the, Keeping control of their dra- of the dragons was such a huge deal for dragon lords that I wouldn't overlook that one. That should that might be a um, an indirect hint at the conflict between Anar and the Freehold. Um, let's see if I had any other questions I didn't get to. Uh, we're going a little bit over today. Sorry, guys. Um, who would have sold Brightwar? So the idea is that um, Brightwar was bought from a Lyrian house. The the tinfoil is that it was the Targaryens that sold Bright Roar, but the less tinfoil version is that it was just some Valyrian house that sold it to get money to hire the faceless men. Sure. Uh let's grab some questions here. Um I think I answered guilty undertakers. I answered yours, right? Um the, the whole thing about uh that thing. Oh no, answered another I had another had another question. Were the Targaryen's abolitionists who sought to destroy the slavers of the freehold? Is Danny following her ancestors? Uh, footsteps in more ways than she knows no the anar took the slaves with him to dragonstone they didn't get rid of them for quite some time so um i don't think that's the problem they had with the freehold i think it was the slavery part um but somebody grappling with the past of the sins of their ancestors is a very powerful plot point so danny being the ancestor or the descendant of one of the most powerful slaveholders in the world is something that george is playing on so i think that's a very interesting idea um just as like a thematic thing um ramona zamphir she asked could could it be that the targaryens used to have that only the targaryens used to have dragon bonding dreams and the rest of the leering families used them at the begging of the freehold as slaves and unwilling spouses so they could acquire said genes i base this assumption on the fact that danny starts her life as a posh slave sold for breeding would this explain the targaryen hatred for slavery um, I don't think so because we hear about Orion, the dragon Lord who tried to make himself the empire of Valyria, uh, the emperor of Valyria. And, um, he was clearly cruising around with his own dragon and he was uh, part of the freehold. So, um, I, I don't think it would be that only the Targaryens were dragon riders, but it may be that, um, that they could have been used as essentially breeding stock for the rest of them as being less powerful. It'd be safer to make. Uh, relationships with them, and not really um, upset the balance of power too much. Like the least powerful uh, member of the freehold, it's a pretty safe bet for somebody that you could um, grab some brides from if you needed to to reinforce the crazy dragon riding dream gene thing. Um, and yeah, the the Targaryen hatred of slavery is a pretty recent thing. It's mostly since they came to Westeros. They were pretty all about it before that. Um, Oh no. Grey ways, Tim. I'm about to get to your question. Uh, so this has to do with the fact that the doom still holds, holds sway. Um, so what's been going on there since, um, as I said, the, the free, the Valyria itself shattered into a bunch of islands. And since then it's been surrounded, what's called the smoking sea. It's called a, um, a roiling dangerous stretch of water. that is still dangerous to sail around. Um, Victorian, when they're passing by Valeria, he said, uh, one of his crew members says, three big storms and foul winds between red winds out of Valeria that smelled of ash and brimstone, and black winds drove us toward that blighted shore. The voyage was cursed from the first. Um, and then Tyrion sees this later. The sky is always red above Valeria, Hugor Hill. Actually, that's Makoral talking. So essentially it sounds like the volcanoes are still active in Valeria. The uh red sky and the the ash and uh the foul winds and that stuff, I mean we don't have to look back far in our history to see what that could be. The uh, wildfires that went out through California and the America um, over the last year essentially turned the sky red and orange. There's really chilling pictures of um what that was like for people who lived out there, so that makes I think that's just George saying that the volcanism is still powerful and still going on within Valyria. In addition to the fact that it's a smoking sea, that tells you that um, there's still underwater volcanoes going on. They're probably, the reason it's so dangerous to sail there is that the um, volcanic water is messing up all the currents and makes them unpredictable, the superheated water. Um, So it would make it very treacherous for a sailor to try to go into because you have no idea when you're going over water which way it's going to send you, um, the smoking sea part, that sounds like it's probably ash from the volcanoes mixed with, um, you know, steam plumes from water, water hitting the lava, that kind of thing. Yeah. Some of you guys are probably from California, so you probably n- remember vividly what it was like with the uh, wildfires, but it's essentially, um, we know that there's still li- w- um, life on Valyra. It's actually, um, somebody in the chat that said something about Chernobyl. It's kind of like that it's inhospitable for humans but it's not inhospitable for anybody uh we learn the story of araya targaryen uh her and balerion went essentially the story is araya stole balerion but balerion didn't respect her or just essentially where went where he wanted so the assumption is that from Septimbarth that Balerion went back home to Valyria where he was born. Um, but he came back with these massive, massive scars down him. He had a nine foot gash on his side. Now remember, Balerion is a gigantic dragon, like the size of a castle. So anything that could hurt him is truly massive itself. Um, so the idea may be that while humans can no longer live on Valyria, um, there's maybe two major native species that are still living there. The fireworms, which we talked about earlier, maybe they have just grown out of control without the Valyrians to essentially keep them down. Um, and the second one may be dragons. It would be perfectly reasonable <clears throat> if not every dragon died in the doom. Maybe a few survived and they are just living wild there. We know that Valerian went back home or it's suspected he went back home. So that could be it. Um, we also know that, um, Araya Targaryen, the, 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 the quote of it is not great. It says it seemed to Barth as if Araya had been, was cooking from within her flesh grew darker until it resembled pork cracklings. Smoke came from her mouth, nose, and her nether regions. Not happy about that one. Um uh, Araya's eyes cooked within her skull until they burst. When the princess was lowered into a tub of ice, slimy, unspeakable things, making horrible sounds emerged from under her skin one as long as her arm but the creatures of heat and fire died from the cold of the ice so the assumption has been that these are fireworms that she somehow got um infected with them while on Valyria. uh carl Carson says could the gash have been caused by him simply scraping against the spire mountain he's trying to get away as opposed to being attacked directly it could be but they also said that he came back with um a lot of battle scars basically on his body so Valerion has." like new ones, not just the ones from when um Magor used him to kill his rivals. Like these were apparently new new scrapes and scraps and all that kind of thing. The idea is that is uh he got into fights. Yeah, too much information, Barth. But that tells us that fireworms are still on um are still on Valyria. They probably just run wild native dragons maybe too, just out of control of humans at this point. Um so Greyways Tim he said if stonemen could speak, what tales of horror and madness would they tell us about what currently lives in old Valyria? Same goes for Euron's tongueless crew, since I highly doubt he went in them in there himself. So um, I don't think stonemen actually live on Valyria in the books. I think that's a show thing because they moved Tyrion's journey. He was originally supposed to go down the Roin on the shy maid with young Griff and uh, the whole crew. But instead, it got moved to him being with Jorah, and they sailed through Valyria, and that's where you got the Stone Men. I'm pretty sure the Stone Men don't live in Valyria, um, but um, anything that's living there, it's probably just like it's probably like a horror show. I mean, maybe something like Jurassic Park: giant fireworms, giant dragons, wildlife grown out of control. Yeah, this, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Stone Men Valyria was show only, but they probably could live there if they wanted to. And as for Euron. <laughs> Making it to Valyria. Um, so there's two ways to think about this. George initially has you doubt Euron. I mean, he shows up a dragon binder and he says he got it from Valyria. And um, this is the quote afterwards, where Roderick the reader essentially doubts him. He says, um, "A smile played across Euron's blue lips. I am the storm, my lord, the first storm in the last. I have taken the silence on longer voyages than this." and one's far more hazardous. Have you forgotten? I have sailed the smoking sea and even and seen Valyria. Every man there knew that doom still ruled Valyria. The very sea there boiled in smoke, and the land was overrun with demons. Jurassic Park. Fantasy Jurassic Park, that's what it is. Uh, it was said that any sailor who so much as glimpsed the fiery mountains of Valyria rising above the waves would soon die a, die a dreadful death if the crow's eye had been there and returned have you the reader asked so softly Euron's blue smile vanished reader he said into the quiet you do want to keep your nose in your books so that has been interpreted by many fans that Roderick calling out Euron that he never stepped on Valeria is um it got to him he got very upset at being questioned about it so if he's if he has a sore spot about the fact that he's never been the Valeria then maybe he hasn't um although this goes the other way um this is a quote from the Forsaken Dark as smoke it was, but Euron wore it as easily... Oh, here we go. Euron's crow's eye stood upon the deck of the silence, clad in a suit of black scale armor like nothing Euron had ever seen. Dark as smoke it was, but Euron wore it easily and as if it was the thinnest silk. The scales were edged in red gold and gleamed and shimmered when they moved. Patterns could be seen within the metal whorls, and glyphs and arcane symbols folded into the steel. Valyrian steel, the damp hair knew. His armor is Valyrian steel. In all the Seven Kingdoms, no man owned a suit of Valyrian steel. Such things have been known 400 years ago in the days before the Doom. But even then, they would have cost a kingdom. Huron did not lie. He had been to Valyria. No wonder he was mad. So one thing to go against this quote is that you do not have to go to Valyria to get a Valyrian steel armor. Valy- Euron is a pirate. He could have stolen it. We know that there are quite a lot of uh, Valyrian relics around the world. He doesn't have to have gone to Valyria to get the um to get dragon binder and this Valyrian steel armor he could have but his reaction to Roderick suggests that if he's been to Valyria he sent out his crew to go find stuff for him but it's, I would say it's more likely he pirated this stuff he stole it from somebody um I don't know where he's uh, gray stem I mean the the storyline is the same it's on the journey to Valyria in the show where Tyrion gets ambushed by the Stone Men, which happens in the books at uh, Croyane at the Bridge of Dreams. So, like, it's the exact same thing. It's just transposed somewhere else. Um, a question here from Eric F. He says, What would it take to undo the lingering foulness in the area? How do you think that unlivable state relates to the conditions of a shy? Um, it would have to be volcanoes, the volcanic activity to stop. Um, but stopping volcanoes, I mean, that would, from the Valyrian example, that would take magic. Um so unless somebody's got some uh fire mages laying around that know how to do it, I don't think they're putting the um the cap back on the bottle of Valyria. But the I really like the part of the question that how do you think that unlivable state relates to the conditions in Ashai? They seem identical. Um to the north of Ashai, there's the river ash, which is constantly choked with volcanic ash itself. Um, the connections between Ashai and Valyria seem relatively reasonable so um the idea that one civilization tried to take advantage of volcanic activity basically like we saw in valyria happens somewhere else and it blew up on them as well i mean that makes a ton of sense to me um that the fate of valyria is essentially the fate of a shy that they are more or less the same thing um my call says where is it they have blacksmiths that can rework valyrian steel uh cohort yeah king's landing says jess uh they can't make it they can they can reforge stuff that's already there but you never know there's there's families behind the black wall of volantis there's powerful um valyrian descendants out there some of them must have a lyrian steel suit of armor they just keep it in vaults and stuff like that so euron probably just stole it from somebody rich uh, that would be my guess um but yeah i think um Shy was likely destroyed by volcanic activity too, same as Valyria. And the fact that it's continuing to destroy Shy tells us that it may be a long time before anybody can um, recolonize uh, Valyria. And another question from Eric F., how do you evaluate the theories of the Citadel being involved with the Bright War transaction that caused the doom? So this goes back to the Maester conspiracy that the Maesters of Westeros not only tried to end the targaryens and and destroy the dragons when they showed up but they had a an axe to grind against valyria itself um i i don't know i i don't really believe in the maester conspiracy they seem to be more just like simple book nerds most of the time uh they i think they get a lot of conspiratorial thought around them because the way they um all the different places they have like maesters and stuff like that but when you look at the maesters themselves there doesn't seem to be any kind of large scale conspiracy between them. Um, even the Grand Maesters and the Seneschals and stuff like that, like they are killed so often and they bow to the Monarchs with such frequency that it's hard for me to believe. Oh, wow. That it's hard for me to believe that these guys are the secret puppet masters bringing down magic the world over. Um, it I mean, that's what Marwin says, but Marwin's also crazy. So I don't know about that one. Um... When's the next Doom going to happen? Uh, probably pretty soon in King's Landing. Yeah, we've been going for two and a half hours. I'm about to finish up. My voice is going. Uh, let's see here. Got those. Got those. Let me check PayPal real fast. Yeah, they're, they're basically a bunch of academic monks. Those aren't the kind of people that usually bring down civilizations. Um, probably the master assassins that have a bone to grind with Valyria. Um, is there anything else? Any, any last questions you guys want to throw out there? Uh, anything I didn't get to? Uh, anything I missed while I was talking? Because I, I had a lot in my outline today. It's uh 14, 15 pages. Yeesh. All hail the black goat. Oh my god. Well, Kohor is very big into blood sacrifice. So probably um, that's why they know how to reforge it. Will George ever finish his books? Um, seems like he's pretty close on the Winds of Winter. I don't know about A Dream of Spring, but I don't know his writing process. He writes in terms of hot streaks. Um, there are some authors like Brandon Sanderson that um, essentially, or Stephen King, they write a certain amount every day. So it's relatively predictable when they're going to finish because of how much they do. George writes to passion. That's why Fire and Blood came out of nowhere so fast. And the first three books came out in three years. Um, if he gets on a hot streak, he'll finish it fast. So uh, no, way of, uh, no way of knowing. Um, let see here. Huge volcanic eruption may have caused volcanic winter Happened several times in Earth's history. each lasted for years. Definitely. Uh, One of the side effects of massive volcanism is uh, elongated winters. A girl has a thousand names in one. Could it be the doom happened from a combination of factors? More than one of the theories you mentioned happened simultaneously. Sure. Why not? Um, Oh, uh, PayPal super chat from Amy Blackfire. Let me see what we got here. Uh, $10 for Amy. Thank you so much. We're saying so much. Re enjoyed this. Now extra scared of earthquakes. Well, it's, it's not something to be actively scared of. They're going to happen or they're not. You have no control over it. So it's the same as the sunrise coming up. There's no reason to be scared of the sunrise because you have no, it's nothing to do with you. Um, if you want to get a really good look at George's writing, uh, there's a interview on YouTube where him and Stephen King were having a conversation and they talk about their different writing processes. And George essentially says that he doesn't understand Stephen King because King writes a certain amount of pages. Every day, no matter what, good or bad, and he doesn't care how good or bad they are. He lets the editors and the readers decide that George um, tends to write in giant batches all at once and then obsesses over the editing. So that's kind of how it goes. What about what Marwin says? I did a stream on Marwin uh, about a month or two ago. If you want to go check that out, I think it's called Marwin the Mage's Machinations. But I essentially made the point that Marwin's probably a little bit off his rocker. And the stuff that he's not at that's true is being exaggerated to get Sam to not talk to anybody else because Marwin's trying to essentially get to Danny first. So he wants he wants to be the only one with the information Sam has. Um, uh, What do you think Aria will will do with the training? Uh, She's going to kill in the Winds of Winter. She's going to kill Garth, right? Um, Hang on from the mercy chapter i forget but she's somebody from king's landing she's gonna kill um there's a whole bunch of them over there and she's in a theater or something like that i haven't i haven't read it but i know it's in it um marwin's marwin's a liar probably but he's also very much exaggerating um all right so i think that's uh probably about it for today. before you leave the stream remember you guys slammed that like button so hard you slammed it so good that sounded wrong um 238 likes so we're giving i'm gonna be giving away a shirt at my threadless shop so after i end the stream stick around and put in the comments who your favorite dragon is um and why tell me why um anyone throughout history um i'd be interested to hear i'm guessing it's mostly going to be drogon but i know mallory will have some interesting ones and um there's a lot of really cool dragons out there dragons are cool but they're also terrifying Raph the sweetling that's it Um. So what we have coming up, I've got another video coming out um, relatively soonish. Well, I don't know. I still have to film it. That's right. I'm filming something. It's not going to be me uh, just talking over um, pictures on the screen. It's going to be this guy. So I'm filming stuff. Um, If you're uh, if you want to join my Patreon, patreon.com slash Joe Magician, $5 level gets you access to um, the patron slack as well as the patron only episodes. Uh, including the one on night flyers and um, I mean, not, 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 not night flyers, um, God, meat house man and um, sand Kings. And coming up, we're going to be doing a chapter by chapter read through on dying of the light. George's 1977 story. Um, hang on a second. Uh, let me put a link in the chat. If you want to pick it up to read along, uh, there's an audible link in the description. So you can get a free audible subscription for a month to listen along and I put this in my patron post um, if you want to buy it yourself Um, George put out a new one recently so you can you can get it relatively cheap Um, I think like 15 bucks or something like that I haven't read it before so this is gonna be a voyage of discovery for both of us Uh, may patron update there we go okay here's the link Uh, if you want to pick up dying of the light yourself And I think that's probably about it. I will see you guys next weekend. Um, If you're the first time, welcome. And I hope to see you again.